When those who tended the pigs saw what had happened, they ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully dressed and completely sane. They were filled with awe. Those people who had actually seen what had happened told them how the demon-possessed man had been delivered. Then everyone gathered from the region of the Gerasenes, asked Jesus to leave their area because they were overcome with terror. Friends, I pray the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord Jesus, we do ask for receptive spirits now. May your good news find good soil in our actual lives today. We want to hear and respond, listen and obey. Repent and believe. We ask this all for your love's sake. Amen. Amen. Today's friends, we're going to talk about uh, social injustice and cosmic battles. So there's enough in this sermon to offend almost everybody. <laughs> my, uh, my mom passed away in February. Most of you know that. Suddenly. <clears throat> she was working full-time as a nurse um, and up until the time when I got a phone call from my sister uh, the day after she had passed away alone in her house. This year's been also really tough kind of because... Um, of Sharon's dad has had uh, heart surgery and then had lung complications from the heart surgery and has continued to deal with that and is um, soon to be or is on a plane with oxygen right now as he flies somewhere. I'm 43. Um, I don't have major health complications. Um, And I don't usually think about death. It's one of the particularities of living in a late, modern, affluent society is that death, death is not a constant companion. Um, and we spend trillions of dollars to keep it out of sight. But I've had to reckon with the reality in the last several months that actually I am scared to death of death. I'm scared to death of death. Even though I don't think about it, much of my life is organized and orchestrated to avoid, stave off, keep it at bay. Don't think about it. I want to ask, friends, what makes you afraid? What makes you scared? If you have children, you probably have some fears for your children. There's two things that we see in human, I think humanity, uh, true to all humans, that um, are pervasive in our experience of what we're afraid of. And the first is hurt. We're afraid of physically hurting or or relationally hurting. And uh, and death. (laughs) In fact, there's certain sociologists and psychologists who uh, tell the entire story of humanity based upon humans and and culture, human culture and society as they organize around the fear of death. So we want protection from hurt and provision so we can stay alive. These are two things that we are created for and they're two things that actually 
this is a different sermon. These are two things that are, uh, Eve is tempted to tr- trust not God for. These are two things that Jesus' protection and provision that he overcomes in the, in the wilderness temptations and things he defeats the power of and then gives uh, power for in his cross, his death and resurrection. But protection and provision tend to predominate uh, our lives and, and much of our economy and most of our lives and most of our day-to-day schedules are organized around making sure we're safe and making sure we have enough. This is as old as humanity. I want to suggest we see it in our text today from Luke chapter 8. Weird things, right? This is like pigs and demons and naked guys. You know, this is not your, I don't know, this isn't a VBS sermon is what I'm saying. But today we proclaim the good news that Jesus disarms our deepest fears. He protects, he provides, so fear has no dominion here. There is deliverance and healing today. There is protection and provision in the Lordship of Jesus for you. There's some background we have to go into in order to understand this. I think uh, my friend Paul has helped me understand this text. He's a brilliant New Testament theologian. Um, There's two things actually happening here. There is a cosmic battle going on. And there is the reckoning with how spiritual forces bring about social injustices. And I'd like to talk about both in 14 minutes. Um, this, this story comes right on the back end. The reason why they're in Gerasenes, the reason why they get out of a boat is because they got into a boat in Galilee and they went across the lake and there's different lake stories in the Gospels. This is the one, though, where wind and waves are terrifying and Jesus speaks a word and calms, stills the wind and the waves. I want to suggest that, I'd love to teach on this for 40 minutes, but I want to suggest that that story combined with this story we have an incredibly clear picture that Baal worship is being confronted. Baal is a Ugaritic god myth. Um, Baal is, uh, he defeated Yom, the sea god, and won, yay Baal. And this victory gave Baal dominion over, you got it, storms above and waters below. And so the calming of the storm and the waves is Jesus defeating Baal. There is absolutely no way an ancient Near Eastern person wouldn't hear that story like, Jesus, this is why they say, who is this? That even the winds and the waves will obey him. So he's superior to the winds and the waves. But Baal also has dominion over, you guessed it, evil spirits of the dead. Uh, The underworld. So Baal also, uh, uh, ancient Near Eastern gods were always fighting. It's just kind of their thing. They were fighting, and, then, and they're also kind of lazy. And so they just hang around, let humans serve them, and then when they want to do something, they, like, get violent. It's just how the gods are. So Baal also had a fight with another Eucharistic god, Mot. And Baal and Mot were both children of El. El uh, is translated the most high god. Shows up in our text today. And Mot was the favored son. Baal got jealous, as you do. So as petulant gods are prone to do, they had a spat, and it seems to be a draw 
There's neither a winner nor a loser in the literature. But some of Mott's favor from El goes to Baal, and also Baal sort of shares dominion with Mott now. So Baal's name would be evoked in uh, Ugaritic exorcisms because he was now the most favored son of the most high God. And so when Jesus encounters a possessed man in the tombs after defeating Baal, it's a showdown on the beach. This is a showdown. This man comes to him. And it's a showdown, though, that is completely humorous in how thoroughly powerless this legion of demons is against Jesus. The first time we hear from them, they're begging. <laughs> they're not, it's not really, the fight's over before it starts. One more thing about this, because I just want us to grasp this. There's this super weird, I mean, you read commentaries, and commentators are almost apologetic, and they're just like, God bless those pigs. They did not deserve this. It's like this, you know, you know bacon lovers unite. This is sort of a sad, <laughs> sad thing that happens to these pigs. Well, here's, here's um, what's happening is, uh, you know, Jesus is asking the name, legion, so Jesus, and they're scared to death, they'll be sent into the abyss, which, by the way, is from First Enoch, which isn't canonical, but this is all a part of the ancient Near Eastern Jewish understanding of demons and the underworld. And uh, so, so they say, hey, can we go into the pigs? Now, why would they ask that, right? Well, <laughs> boars, pigs, were a no-no for Jews, right? They're unclean, right? They're unclean. And in fact, we see, we see Luke telling us how completely unclean and impure this thing is because we've got a naked man who lives in, with dead people, who has demons in him, and he's a Gentile. It's like, it's like unclean cubed. <laughs> that's, that's what Luke's telling us here, right? And so um, they beg to go into the pigs. Why? Well... Um, Boars and swine were often associated with Baal. They were part of his retinue. In these, in these big songs to Baal, um, it would talk about Baal with his uh, army and his boars. <laughs> we don't, I don't really know why, but that was part of his retinue. He was associated with pigs. And pigs would be sacrificed in honor of Baal. You, you sacrificed sheep or pigeons or, or goats. You know, the temple, you sacrificed pigs... To Baal, which is, many people think one of the reasons why they were considered unclean is because they were so associated with Baal. So they asked to go into the pigs because that would be home for them. Do you see? That's a safe place. Pigs is like our ground, right? So they've lost, but now they want to go somewhere that's safe, the pigs. So Jesus says, okay. And then they rush into the water and die. Now, demons were associated with waterless regions. It was commonly thought that water was not good for demons. Right? We see this even later in Luke, Luke 11, I believe. So, so Jesus says, sure, you can go to the pig. And then they all rush into the lake, and it kills the demons. You see this? It's a cosmic battle here. Jesus is waging war against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that incite and use fear to dominate and control. 
He claims authority over wind, water, and evil spirits of the dead. The exact places of Baal's authority to liberate and free people from the prison of fear. Today, we proclaim the good news that Jesus disarms our deepest fears. He protects and provides so fear has no dominion here. There's deliverance and healing today for us. There is protection and provision in the Lordship of Jesus. Okay, so that's the cosmic sort of thing happening here that we usually miss. We just miss it. And there's another uh, probably six-week conversation we can have about demons and how it's really hard for modern people to believe in the spiritual realm. But we can't do that today. Uh, this man, um, this man, I want this man who's unnamed, this man who is the first missionary Jesus sends out in Luke's gospel, who's a Gentile. This man who goes out not with uh, the four spiritual laws or uh, an explanation of infilasarianism. He doesn't understand the Trinity. He probably has all kinds of heterodox understandings about things. But just like the Samaritan woman in John 4, what he does have is he's encountered the power of Jesus, and it's delivered him, healed him, saved him. And he goes with that message, and that's it. That's all he he needs. Jesus is so unconcerned about anything else other than just tell, tell people what God did for you. Tell people what God did for you. This man is unnamed, but this man is a picture of what the, uh, what, what the gods of Baal, what the gods oppose to the God of Jesus, what they do to us. How do I do this quickly? <laughs> man. <clears throat> the demoniac... Baal doesn't have power in Gerasene without the demoniac. You know that's true. This man who lives by himself naked and breaks chains and is driven to the wilderness, this man is an icon of impurity and danger. Without this man, I'm not as afraid of Baal as I should be. Without this man, I don't worship as fervently as I could. Without this man, there's no motivation for me to make oblation or make sacrifices or pay homage to Baal. Because without fear, Baal loses his power. Without the danger of Baal, as pictured in this man, Baal loses his dominion. What does this do? Well, it makes Baal powerful. Fear. Baal's throne is fear. It also has created an economy, hasn't it? So fear creates a way to make money and have power. The people talking about what happened here isn't this man's family. The people talking about what happened here are who? The people who lost money. The swine herders, the boar gatherers, I don't even know what you call them. <laughs> the pig whisperers. I like that. <laughs> the pig herders tell everyone in the region what happened in verses 34 through 37. They find the man who had the demons sitting at Jesus' feet, which is a posture of discipleship. 
with clothes on, and they were afraid. We're told that twice, and it intensifies. 37, my translation says all. It's a, it's a word for fear. And, the, and then, then verse 37, it's great terror, or they're fr- flipping out, freaking out. Why are they scared? Why are they scared? Well, the disciples were also scared when the winds and the waves were calmed, and they went into curiosity and wonder. Who is this? What is going on? These people are scared, and they go into, get the hell out of here. Get on your boat and leave. Friends, the cosmic struggle Jesus is in isn't just an abstract spiritual battle. Jesus is fighting against the powers that use money and power to demonize and marginalize vulnerable people. He is rescuing this man from being uh, used by his culture to solidify fear and to rally everyone else in solidarity around him. He is de-scapegoating the demoniac in Gerasene. This isn't just a cosmic, religious, spiritual battle. This is on the ground, social and economic justice for this man and his community. And he wants it, but his community doesn't. Jesus sets these people free from the fear of death and evil from the fear of having protection through this mechanism, this way of controlling things. Those who benefit the most from fear, evil power, which still exists. We don't call it ball now. We call it... Um, <laughs> money and power hide in different places. But the gods are the same. Same gods. Same gods. So the pigs then, friends, notice the pigs here, they're a symbol. They become a symbol, they're icons of, of, of the mechanism we use to control and appease our fear. These pigs played a really important part, not only in the economy, but also in this taxonomy of how do I deal with being scared to death of a god who's capricious, uncontrollable, and can do to me what he's done to this demoniac. And the drowning is like the melting of the golden calf. (laughs) Today we proclaim the good news that Jesus disarms our deepest fears. He protects, he provides, so fear has no dominion here. There's deliverance and healing today. There's protection and provision in the Lordship of Jesus. So friends, what patterns of control and fear do I use to manage my life? Who's the scapegoat? that I look at to justify that fear. There's um, probably, a, uh, again, uh, we don't worship ball now. Now we worship things like, um, we worship money and corporations. I mean, I could pick any corporate uh, uh, sector, but let's just talk about big pharma. You know, um, in the 80s, I, I remember looking at a Time magazine in the 80s, and uh, in the 80s, like, there was all of this uh, outrage and scandal and fear 
about the crack epidemic. You guys remember this? And uh, on, the, on the, the picture I'm thinking of, I didn't have a chance to look it up. The picture I'm thinking of is it was a black person who was a crack addict. Um, and so we've got a similar dynamic at play here where we, where we look at a marginalized person who's vulnerable, who is an addict, and we see them as the scapegoat inside of which all our fear is rallied against. This black crack addict, right? Meanwhile, white male executives are also doing crack in powder form. And the sentences for crack are like 80 times more than the sentences for cocaine. This is, this is how racist the war on drugs was. And I, I could talk about for six hours about this. Fast forward 15 years, and pharm, pharmaceutical companies realized, hey, uh, <clears throat> most acceptable, most of the people we make money off of, you know, affluent white people, they're not going to smoke crack in downtown alleyways, like Time Magazine told us about. What if we sent, what if we made a synthetic opiate and marketed it to cancer doctors and other doctors and downplayed significantly how addictive it was mm. and hid research for that? Right. Notice, friends, in the 80s, when a very small segment of the population is addicted to opiates that are more like the gathering demoniacs than the sheep herders or the pig, the pig whispers. It was a war on drugs. Yeah. Now, 30 years later, when it's the, the, the pig whisperers who are addicted to opiates, is it a war on opiates? No. It's a, it's a crisis. It's a crisis. Money and power play upon fear to scapegoat and marginalize hurting people. It still happens. What does Jesus do? He stands right with the scapegoat, fights for their freedom and healing, delivers them, allows whatever we have to reckon with to be reckoned with there because the people in the mainstream don't like the marginalized getting mainstreamed. We need our scapegoats, people, or else we can't worship. We can't worship out of fear. I have a friend who... Um, gosh. I have a friend whose uh, dad is having anxiety, can't sleep, went to the doctor. Um, he's, a, he's an older man. He's like in his 60s. And um, the doctor was like, well, tell me about your habits. Older. I didn't say old. I was really careful not to say old. I did say older. It's an, um, <laughs> they, ran, they ran all these tests. Uh, see, see, a seasoned man? Is that better? Wisened? Uh, a, a seasoned. Uh, this person was post young. And. <laughs> post young. Uh, ran all these batteries of tests, thought he was having heart palpitations. Everything came back normal. And his doctor, who was a Turkish immigrant, said to this older, older white man, Tell me about your daily habits. Oh, I put around, do this and that and this and that, blah, 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 blah. Well, one of his children had came to the doctor's appointment. And he said, Dad, tell him what you actually do all day. He's like, well, I, you know, I watch a lot of cable news. 
And he said, well, uh, what, do you, which, which, what do you want? And he said, I watch about, I watch a couple hours of Fox News a day. And, this, and this, the, the kid who was there with his dad says, Dad, you watch it all day. Okay, I watch like six to eight hours. And this Turkish doctor, who is an immigrant, looked at this man and he said, you have to stop it. They are making money off of making you scared. And it's going to kill you. Friends, fear drives our economy and our culture. But today we proclaim the good news that Jesus disarms our deepest fears. We no longer have to have scapegoats. We no longer have to be angry at the Gadarene demoniac or scared of him. We no longer have to use him for our economy. But we can like receive him back home and hear the story of the good news that God has done in his life. He can become part of our community. I mean, he's in his right mind with clothes on, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and we can receive that today. Today. Friends, where are you scared? Where are you scared? The worst thing we could do here in this, in this story is for me to scapegoat Time Magazine and scapegoat Fox News washers and feel justified as I'm taking care of my pigs. Where are you scared? Where, where are we scared? I'm scared to death. Scared to death to death. My kids were in a portable classroom this year at their school. And every time I saw a school shooting, I thought, why does my kid get the least protected place in their school? And I, I hate it. I hate it. There's a 40-minute rant on how the NRA preys on fear and uses power and money to sell violent weapons to people only because of fear. If you want a gun, great. The NRA isn't all gun owners. Friends, where do you today? I worry your fear. I'm going to pray. I'm going to let us sit in silence, and then Spencer is going to lead us in responding to Jesus, who has dominion of our fear, who, who provides and protects us, delivers us, and frees us so we can declare the good news of God. Lord, uh, we want your dominion here. We want to have wonder and worship and love center our worship of you, not fear and anger. So speak to us now and help us to not just uh, think about you or assent to these things, but to respond to you in faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.